What up, my gringos from Sayulita, Mexico? I've been hanging out with Buck Johnson, Mark Clare, Clint Russell, Johnny Profita, all sorts of cool cats. Robbie the Fire Bernstein, who, who quit this morning. He's got another show somewhere else. So it's been cool, man. It's been really, really great. Um, it was a pretty good turnout for the festival. It's nice to meet with liberty-minded people. You should get out to things if you can. It's like you're in this wonderful bubble. You could forget that the world's gone nuts for a while. And it, it, it all becomes kind of funny. So we recorded some live podcasts, and I guess those will be coming out soon. For now, here's Tam on a show called New Political Voices. And this, I guess, will be going out as episode 198. I'm delighted to be joined this evening by Tam Laird. He's the leader of the Scottish Libertarian Party. And if you thought they were all socialists and big state people in Scotland, you were wrong. Tam, welcome. Uh, thank you for having me on. It's a great pleasure. So as we look at these... Um, we go through a series of interviews with, with, with new political voices or different political voices. And my first question is usually, what made you take up the cudgels? What made you set up a party or join a party, lead it, when you're espousing an unpopular view, when it's a huge uphill struggle? What, what motivates you? Well, I've always been kind of... Uh... What's the word for it? Pathologically heterodox. So um, even even as a kid, you know, you, there was one of those kids. The parents said, "Oh, you everybody's at a step bar you. You know, you've you've you know, we're all wrong bar you. You know, you've got if we say black, you've got to say white. So there's a bit of that in me for a start. So I was never shy about having an unpopular viewpoint. I mean, try being a kid at, of about eleven years old in a classroom in the west of Scotland at a Catholic school and saying that you support Margaret Thatcher in a, in a, in a room, you know, in an absolute school full of, like, minors, sons and, you know, grandsons. Believe me, that was, that was no picnic. Um, so I've always been used to having a, a, an unpopular point of view. Um, I was, for my sins, way, way back in the SNP, for some time, because I I believed at that time that they believed in independence. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's been exposed to time. Um, so when I binned the SNP, well, way back in the the nineties, I was I've been politically agnostic for a long, long time. My attitude was no political party represents me and my point of view, uh, and whoever I vote for. I end up with a government and the government will tax me and the government will make laws that I don't agree with and it will enforce them on me. So I, I, I disengaged. I didn't even vote for a long, long time. I think I came back out the, the woodwork for a, a by-election or it may have been for the, the yes, no vote. I don't know, but I, I can't even remember. But I, I came out of the woodwork to, to, to vote after years I started to get interested in 
libertarian stroke anarchist points of view through online stuff I was listening to. Penn Gillette, the magician, actually was a big player in, in, in converting me to that kind of libertarian anarchist worldview. I was listening to a podcast at the time, I believe, by a guy called Neil Burtz, who was an American shock jock, kind of conservatarian. And he had one of those little political matrixes on his uh, on his website. You know, you answer a few questions that tells you where you are in the political spectrum. And it kept coming up, right, libertarian. And I kept trying it again. The guy goes, this can't be right. Libertarian, that sounds too much like liberal. And uh, my idea of liberal was obviously the modern idea, which is somebody who's leftist and progressive. And I couldn't quite buy that. But sure enough, after doing it two or three times, I had to make the, the shocking conclusion that I was indeed a libertarian. So I'd set out to explore more about this new, to me, new idea. Uh, so well, that, br that, bring, that brings us to the question. Right? A, yeah. a lot of people watching won't have a clear idea of what, what, uh, what a libertarian is. So yeah. in, in, in the simplest terms, could you, could you explain the philosophy? In the simplest terms, don't hurt people, don't take their stuff. Sounds very simple, but we're the only party who actually believes that. But no, make the state as minimal as you possibly can. And then when you've done that, make it as minimal as you possibly can again. Reduce the state to a, nice, uh, a night watchman basically it's in charge of if it has to be in charge of anything the police the military and the judiciary that's it that's its role that's its remit nothing above and beyond that because anything beyond that it starts to become intrusive very intrusive and it won't stop it grows arms and legs and uh, it becomes a cancer right now of course um, not hurting people and not taking the stuff, that's the base of the common law, you know, cause no loss of harm, don't it, use fraud in your contract. Indeed. So, so a, lot of, it, a lot of people will be familiar with these ideas through, through that. Yeah. Um, and uh, one, of, one of my kind of intellectual um, inspirations was Murray Rothbard. I was yeah. saying earlier, I, I have a T-shirt that's got Murray Rothbard's face on it and it says underneath, enemy of the state. I particularly like wearing that one on airline travel. I think that goes very well. Um, and <laughs> the just don't fumble with your shoelaces on the plane while so, you're <laughs> so he he crystallised a lot of this as as the yep. non-aggression principle, right? So you're mm -hmm. you're not taking up aggressive actions against other people. And whilst I'm um, Personally, I, I wouldn't describe myself as a libertarian. I've certainly been influenced by these ideas qu quite okay. heavily um, on such, such issues as taxation as theft. And when you look at the impact of the state on um, how, it, how it collects power towards the middle the whole time, and it, and it, it denudes the rest of society of authority, and it, it, it pulls in... Um, resources and everything else becomes impoverished and, and everything becomes meaner and everything becomes politicized yeah. um, that there's a there's a lot in there I think there's a lot of truth in there could you maybe sort of expand on on where you see it's particularly critical in contemporary Scotland and contemporary Britain that these are these 
issues are are important and the, and the state's having the greatest effect? Well, the, currently, the, the obviously the, the big issue of the day is this insidious lockdown uh, and all the restrictions that go with it. That is a, a, a crystal clear, huge manifestation for me, at least, for as state overreach. Uh, it's a clear example of state overreach. There's some people out there, uh, if, if they believe the, the polls that the, the media take, you know, there's, there's, there's a great amount of people who actually support this. I don't think that that's, that's true. I think the greatest amount of people probably comply. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's dangerous in all sorts of levels. It's dangerous to your liberty itself. It's dangerous to your ability to speak out, to gather, to protest, um, to have your own opinion and, and manifest it. Um, and it's also dangerous to the economy. It's, and it's dangerous to people's health. Mask wearing is in of itself, you know, in a prolonged, uh, prolonged situation is detrimental to health. The fact that people can't get to dental treatment, simple operations and simple medical treatment that could eventually prolong their life or save their life. They have no access to this because of this foolish lockdown. Um, and that, that's, 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 a, that's a manifestation, that the greatest manifestation of state overreach. But it also manifests itself in the way that the Scottish government particularly is uh, behaving in terms of its... Uh, hate crimes bill, its attempt to get rid of corroboration, its attempts uh, to bring in uh, state, uh, what's the, the, the word, state invigilators into the family with their uh, Named Persons Act. That hasn't gone away. It's just they put it in the cupboard for the time being. They will, they will, they will try again to bring that out. So I think we're living I, in a I time. Think, I think they are trying again. The current yeah. rolling in of um, the United Nations uh, Convention of the Rights of the Child into Scots law, yeah, um, which is, it would appear to be illegal, and Westminster's taken them to the Supreme Court over this, yeah. um, is simply another means of bringing the state in to replace the parents and yeah. um, uh, the destruction of the family that goes with that, the destruction of family life will be profound if, if it's not stopped once again. Uh-huh. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it's uh, they're, they're, they're trying different tactics this time, obviously. Um, and it, it seemed quite clear to me that, that whether it's a majority or whether it's a minority is not really that important to me. But you would think that the government would know themselves that most of the people in the country did not want this legislation, there was not need for it. I, I, just like the hate crime bill, there is adequate legislation, uh, maybe even too much legislation as it is, without this, uh, without the, these laws um, coming in. We don't need them, uh, and they're, they're, I think in the end they will be detrimental, de certainly detrimental to the family and detrimental to the individual. So, so here's the position I see you in, right? The, uh, you've yeah. come out of the SNP, the biggest state party, with the possible yeah. exception of the Scottish Green Party, that we have. Bear, bear in mind that when I was in the SNP, they were still losing their deposits. Yeah, it, it's changed yeah. a lot. Actually, it's worth just mentioning this. I remember the SNP, and I'd be a small boy at this point, so I, we're talking mid-70s, okay? And I think they just started on Scotland's oil, and they just started to make yeah. occasionally... 
um, a, a small electoral breakthrough and they had one or two MPs. Um, but mostly they were also rads. And they used to go around, so I was born in Airdrie in Blanarkshire, and they used to go around the streets at election time and they had a card and they had loudspeakers on it and they played Scottish music and they ran around the streets playing Scottish music. Yeah. And and they, this leaflet came through the door and it said, if we are independent, this is our cabinet. And it was all people who were actually competent. And it was quite striking because it was all these people who knew something about the thing they were meant to be running, which, yeah. of course, not the way it's done in politics. Yeah. Right. So you could tell that they were, out, they were outsiders because they had all these people who were actually competent. Uh, and and they, they, had, they, had a, they had assigned them because they had no hope of winning anything. So they assigned them to yeah. nominally, this is going to be the Chancellor of the Exchequer. And the guy was actually a specialist in economics and the guy who was going to be in charge of, of uh, you know, trade and industry was involved in trade and industry and, and knew something about his subject. So, well, that's actually quite interesting. That doesn't look yeah. too bad, I thought, age nine or something. Yeah, that's um, very true. The, there was a transformation to this left-wing big state, I've openly yeah. called them fascist uh, party with the name person and the... Um, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the attack on the family, the attack on free speech versus the hate crime bill, and everything else, and the, and the complete control of everything that comes out of every MP's mouth, because yeah. they actually have rules about you're not allowed to disagree. So this, this very controlling, top-down authoritarian party, very left-wing, very big state, came out of this. Remember yep. the day they were anti-EU. Back in the first European referendum, um, the SNP were, were, they viewed the European superstate as an attack yeah. on sovereignty. And therefore they yeah, were... Yeah, the, the, one, the, the one whether not to remain, the, the common market uh, referendum, that one. Yes, the 75. Yeah. So yep. it's a party that's changed. Oh, but, uh, almost... Uh, indistinguishable from the party that it, that it once was. Yeah, I think that's fair. So, um, so you're, you've come out of that party, which yeah. it's left you one or the other. Yeah. The um, the you're, you're, in a, you're in a country where the government and state operators are 40 to 50% of the economy. They employ a great many people. Yes. Um, they control education, so they control what's going into the minds of the young to an enormous degree. And the message is always the state is the solution. Now, what's your problem? It's yep. all political choices. And libertarianism is, is, no, the state's the problem. We're the solution. Right? So how do you go about communicating to people who have not got much practical experience of how liberty might work to solve problems, to provide healthcare, to provide water, to provide roads, to provide yeah. transport, any of these things. What, how, do you, how do you break down that barrier? With a lot of patience, tenacity, and with great, great difficulty. It's, um, it's a surfeit 
to use a Scottish term. Um, and I don't. A hard struggle. I, I'm not. For, for, view, I, for viewers outside Scotland, a hard struggle. Yeah, indeed. Um, it's, it's not a fight that I fight because I think I could necessarily win. I think the fight in and of itself is right. And I think anybody in our movement who isn't in it for that uh, could be sorely disappointed. We have to, you know, we are up against an, an absolute uh, megalith. We have had 60 years or more of, Scot of uh, socialist stinking thinking in Scotland. It permeates every walk of life. And like you say, the amount of people, <laughs> including myself, I have to say, who are dependent on... Uh, the state for their livelihood, whether it's directly in terms of the NHS or the transport system, or whether it's in a tertiary uh, or secondary level, whether you're a contractor, a private contractor, you know, uh, linked to the government, there is a hell of a lot of people with their nose in the trough or they're just dependent on the state in one way or another. So you really are trying to sell Christmas to turkeys. Um, so it, it's uh, it's it's extremely difficult, but you you it's it's a so we're a party of principle, and you can either continue to try and sell those principles, or you can do what the SNP done thirty or so years ago and completely uh, sell their soul in order to get seats and to get into government. You know, you, if you dance with the devil, the devil does not change, the devil changes you. And we are, we are aware of that in this party. It's not, a, it's great getting votes, it's great getting uh, people elected, but it's not a be end all for us. We have, to, we're, we're primarily didactic. Taking part in elections is one way of getting our message out there. Uh, but it's not the only way. You know, get it out on the internet, get it out by talking to people, get it out by having uh, meetings, and uh, although difficult as that is at the moment, try to permeate your message out there. So I, I, I get the difficulty, okay? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, my, I, I'm um, an Austrian economist. I, I follow Austrian eco economics. I, I read a lot of Austrian economics. Yeah. Um, and I follow the Mises Institute, and so I've, I've, which is a similar and kind of related via Murray Rothbard and, and similar thinkers, a, a kind of related line of thought. Yeah. Now, what they found was they 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 had a very long, lonely struggle for a lot of years, and they didn't compromise uh, because their intellectual master Ludwig von Mises didn't compromise and that's the, the the line they were following and when the crisis hit and in this case it would be the 2008 yeah. financial crisis the great recession and everybody all of the mainstream commentators said economy will be fine don't worry about a thing the housing market um uh, downside is contained Right. And then they were marching up to Congress and saying, give us $750 billion now or they'll be yeah. blocked in the streets tomorrow. Okay. So it went quite quickly. On the um, September 11th, which 
as it happens. Interesting date. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people looked around for someone to explain what had happened, the only people with a rational explanation say, oh, we can tell you what happened, we can tell you yeah. why, we can tell yeah. you what the, the wrong decisions, and we can tell you what should be done yeah. to get out of this. Yeah. Where the Mises Institute. So they had a huge move forward. So it, in maintaining an intellectual honesty, they didn't buy themselves any friends. They didn't buy many tickets to university professorships. They didn't get any a- access into Harvard and, and Yale. Um, they're in little colleges in the middle of nowhere, which yeah. is where they tend to teach. But when the crisis came, they had a, a, a rational, detailed, precise um, explanation of what was going on, and no one yeah. else did. So there was an opportunity there. So um, although your uh, your say effect is is a is a hard road to follow, there can be times when there are opportunities and. I'm looking at the, the current way that the, the economy in the country is being run and you're thinking, well, this is not sustainable. This, this cannot go on. Um, it so- can, but, you know, people, unfortunately, the Scottish people in particular, they're like a terminal patient who want to try everything else before they take the hard medicine, you know? Uh, that, that's it. They, they don't want to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They, they don't want to know about austerity because we have no austerity. That's that's first and foremost. There is no austerity. The, the, the story, the, the, the Tories have spent more than any socialists ever did. Um, so, you know, with, with conservatives like them, who needs Marxists, as somebody said. So there is no austerity. And when you try to tell people, look, you can't spend money you don't have. But that, that was Thatcher's message when she when she started out. You can't spend money that you don't have. People, especially Scottish people, do not want to know that. Um, but there well, might come a time, there might come a time, as you say, where they're going to realise the hard way that you can't spend money that you do not have. Not not indefinitely. Well, it comes it, back it to might come you. if Nicola Sturgeon gets her, gets her wishes. Because I'd like to... The, <laughs> The, the one yeah. area, I mean, we, we've, we've done a lot of agreeing here, which is lovely, but yeah. um, probably the one area we don't agree on is yeah. over Scottish independence. Now, I'll, I'll give you my view, and then if you could criticise it and let me know where you, where you see, see things differently. Okay. I, I had an interview with Adam Kukesh, the, the libertarian candidate in America, in 2014. Because the, the general libertarian view of Scottish independence was we support Scottish independence because if you take a big state and you divide it into smaller states, liberty increases. That was the analysis. It didn't go yeah. much deeper than that, but there's a rationale to that. Because if you have lots of little states and someone says, well, I'm going to oppress my population, I'm going to tax them very heavily, then the population says, well, it's nice over in that neighbouring state, we'll go over there. Yeah. And and because like, like principalities in Europe in the in the, the Middle Ages, that, that kind of thing. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, so you end up with um, a lot of a lot of constraint in what the tyrant does. This is why the New World Order idea of a single world government with a single world army to enforce its will 
is profoundly worrying because there's nowhere else to go. Yeah. Um, so I get that, and I, I agree with that. I think that, that analysis, as far as it's go, it goes, is sound. Um, and you would take that right down to the village level, because if the village said, we, we yeah. just want to run our own affairs, why shouldn't they? Right. So, take okay. it further, David, right down to the individual level, if you right want down, to run your own affairs. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right down to the individual, right down to the household. And that's, that's the libertarian viewpoint. So I, I get that. Now, um, so the Mises, the Misesian, um Austrian school economists tended to be pro-Scottish independence and all the libertarians, yeah. for the most part, tended to be pro-Scottish independence. So I got interviewed because here I was, as they described me, a hardcore Rothbardian, which is mostly true, um, who was anti-Scottish independence. And they said, well, well why? So well, we've got a problem here. Because what's being sold to the Scots, A, isn't independent, right? Correct. It's, it's membership of this thing called the EU, which is a super state, um, worse than the UK, bigger than the UK, um, more remote, less able to be controlled by anything that any individual in Scotland might think. So yeah. that's, that's problem number one. And problem number two is the selling of socialism. And that's the road to serfdom. And that just, just does not work out well. It works out in, it works out in serfdom, it works out in slavery, it works out in people being oppressed by the state and blaming someone else and then probably a war. It doesn't go well, it never has. Um, and I said, look, we've got this thing called the SMP. They are, they are working up uh, uh, what will be offered to us as a constitution after. Well, we're not, we don't get to see the constitution before we vote. But afterwards, we're going to have some sort of chit-chat about what the Constitution should be, and we're going to be offered something. And it's going to be horrendous. It's going to be every politically correct, culturally Marxist idea you've ever seen. It's going mm -hmm. to attack the family. It's going to destroy free speech. It's going to limit us in every way possible. The place is going to be horrendous. And any Scot with a clue will leave. And I love my nation, and I don't want that for it. And critical though I am of Westminster's government, and by here we are, this is worse, and I don't want that. And also, there is no, there is no idea in Scotland of what independence means, of, of what liberty means. These ideas have, been, have not been discussed in several generations. And we True. need to build up the idea of what they are, of what, what it is we want to be as a nation, before we even consider whether we should be independent. And, and the bottom line for me was the, the, the SMP's approach was, um, oh, you just say we're too, we're too wee, we're too stupid, we're too this, we're too that. To be independent and 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 independence is normal and we'll be fine if we're independent and, and so this is this is not the right argument if they've got you asking the wrong question then they don't care what the answer is they don't care if you yeah. agree with that or oppose it the answer we should be at the question we should be asking ourselves is how should we be governed 
What should the relationship be between the individual and the state? So these questions aren't even on the, on the agenda. So how can this go other than badly? And the, the example of that was that, that I, I got some credible information that the SNP knew that there was about 18 months to complete meltdown economically of the Scottish state in the event mm. of, of independence. And they didn't care and they didn't tell the Scottish people. So they were willing to take risks. They would get the power and they would worry about the mess afterwards, all of which I thought was reckless and showed a callous disregard for the Scottish people. So for that reason, I was against independence. I started right. off neutral, right? I started off, I took a very pro, a very good libertarian view of this, at this in the, at the outset. I thought this is taxation is theft. This is an auction for the future receipts of immoral earnings. Why do I want to vote? And then the SNP came up with the named person scheme. And I thought, that's yeah. fascism. That has to be opposed. That's what Scottish independence is going to be like. The named person scheme for, on, in every aspect of our lives. So that, it's actually the SNP that turned me as, from a probably a non-voter to a, a no-voter. And that yeah. was my position. So tell me where you think I was wrong. Well, I, I, I can't say that you're wrong per se. There's much in your analysis that, that, that has veracity. Here's, okay, first of all, let's just, I think there are two principles at work here. I don't believe in Scottish independence any more than I believe in Scottish justice, Scottish economics, or Scottish free speech. I believe in justice, free speech, economics, they're not peculiar to Scotland. So there are two principles. There is the principle of self-determination and there is the principle of union. If you look at somebody like Ruth Davidson, she is consistent in her principle of union. She believes in the United Kingdom and she believes in the European Union. She probably believes in the United Nations. And if at some point there's some effing intergalactic union, she'll probably be for it, right? because she believes in the principle of union. I believe in the principle of self-determination and I am consistent in that. So therefore I believe I, I voted to come out of the, the EU and I voted the last time round at least for Scottish independence. Even though I, I know in the back of my mind that that is not what the, the SNP are promising. But the principle of self-determination is what I believe in. I want independence from Brussels, Westminster, and last but not by no means least, independence from Holyrood as well. That's probably the one of the most important ones, independence from Holyrood. If Edinburgh wants to be independent, I'd support it in principle. Might not be a good idea economically and for all other sorts of reasons, but in principle, I support it. So there's two, there's two principles in conflict, the, con the, the principle of union and the principle of self-determination. I consistently follow the principle of self-determination. I don't understand the inconsistency of I'm a unionist one minute and then I'm for independence the other when it comes to the EU or I'm for independence one minute or I'm a unionist the next. I, I, don't, that, I don't follow that. However, I do understand completely the fears that you've outlined, but let's look at it this way. If 
the unionists are unionists because they believe that somehow Westminster is going to protect us from the excesses of the SNP, then they're not doing a very good job as it is. And there is no guarantee that the Westminster government is not going to turn into exactly the same thing as the, as the SNP government, because all the indications are that they are going that way. Even as we speak, they're trying to roll out something very similar to the hate crimes legislation yeah, this, this is in, the, point in, in the Westminster Parliament. This is the point I'm making the UK column a lot. What's the difference between the system in Scotland and the system in England? And the answer is eight, it's about six to eight months. And all your great parliamentarians like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who was full of, you know, all, you know the parliamentary procedure and liberty and freedom when he was on the bank benches. Now when he's on the front bench, hasn't said peep about the excesses of the Westminster government when it comes to this uh, lockdown. True. So I hear Ruth Davidson talking in Parliament and I hear her going on about things like lived experiences, okay? And all the, all the language of the left. And I don't really see how the Scottish Conservatives are going to be our saviour in protecting us from the SNP because as far as I can see, they're on the exact same hymn sheet. Now, is it possible that the scenario that you've painted will come true and it's going to be a disaster? It's, it's perfectly possible. But we might need to go through that disaster before we can come, through, come out the other side. And for some people, that pain might be too much. I think if Cowperthwaite can turn Hong Kong round in a matter of 50 years, I think as long as we have free market economics and freedom, we can turn Scotland round in you know, even less time, despite what the SNP's damage to it might be. But here's a, a key issue. Conservatives in Scotland missed, as far as I'm concerned, an opportunity about 50 years ago, 60 years ago. The SNP were only formed because the Scottish Conservative Party would not countenance home rule. Would not countenance it. So those people within the Conservatives who were pushing for home rule left and joined with another group and formed which be what became the SNP. They were known as hard to believe now. It's absolutely hard to believe that the SNP were once called the Tartan Tories. They missed a trick back then. The Scottish Conservatives are missing a trick now. I, I do agree. They I can do agree with outflank them. the bastards on their own ground, is what they can do. Independence shouldn't be something that's left to the SNP and to the left. It could be taken up. I think what's going to happen is that independence, well, not independence as you or I would maybe like it. But breaking away from the UK, I think, is an inevitability. And the Scottish Conservatives are in danger of being forever the party who opposed it. And will find themselves in exile in Scottish politics for years to come. And that's the danger. I think there's an opportunity here for them to, if not embrace the SNP's vision of independence, at least embrace the opportunity and the potentials of independence within a free market system and not under a government that's like the SNP. That's all I can say about that. But I absolutely understand the unionist position and I understand their fears. I share those fears. But if they honestly think that the Westminster government is going to protect us from those hobgoblins, I think they're tragically wrong. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. The, the, the difference between what, what the SNP are doing and what Westminster does is, is, is six months to a year. Yeah. Um, and the, increasingly, we're seeing the driving force is actually coming from outside of Scotland and outside of Britain. These policies that are being run out are international. Yeah. They're coming from international bodies, yeah. and they are foreign to us. But we're told, we're told we have to believe them. We're told that these are uh, things that our politicians believe in. And then we wonder why everyone's saying we've got to build back better all across the globe. They're using the same words. Yeah. And yeah. Um, there's, there's nothing authentic. Why did, why did Trump win? Probably twice, certainly once. Why did Trump win? Because Trump come, came across as authentic. He believed in what he was saying. Yeah. For, for all of the problems and limitations of that message, and he spent money like it was water as well. I mean, he didn't yeah. cut taxes. He didn't do any of these things. Um, but he came across as someone who believed... Well, he cut taxes, things. but he didn't cut spending, which was... Well, yeah, he, he, he borrowed, yeah. Yeah, he, he borrowed yeah. his little heart out. But, you know, each... It, this there seems to be this seems to be the the pattern that each each uh, government that comes in uh, has a level of borrowing that dwarfs the previous one, and we know where that goes. Yeah. Right. You know, there's the the, the, the bin where they used to put the Zimbabwe dollars when you entered um, when you entered South Africa because they didn't want this garbage littering the place. Yeah. That's where that goes. But here's the thing, though, David, and you'll know this as well. The British pound is the Zimbabwe dollar. We just haven't realised it yet. It just hasn't, you know, the, we're, we're like a gambler at the table who the bank's still prepared to bankroll. But one day the banker's going to call in the shots and our money instantly is just going to be, as because it, it's worthless as it is. There's nothing backing it up but our reputation. Well, it's, it's backed by the ability of the state to collect taxes from the people. And that's increasingly a small amount of the spending. So yeah. it's, it's dying. I, I agree with you, it's in, it's in serious trouble. And we should remember that the, the, the little gold sovereign, when it was first introduced, that was a pound it cost. And now it will cost you around 300 pounds to get one of those. So right. 299 three hundreds of that money has evaporated thanks to the Bank of England and uh, war and yeah. the state looking after your interests. And this was um, after, obviously on the gold standard, um, you know, it, the currency uh, holding or even slightly increasing its value in the preceding yeah. hundred years. So yeah, th there are many problems to come. Now, um, so if someone's listening to this and, and, and thinks, look, I, I, I like the sound of this. I, I want to find out a bit more. How do they get in touch with you? Well, the first port of call would be www.scottishlibertarians.com. Um, and that's our website. On there, you will find pretty much all the information that you need. Um, there's a button for donating. Uh, it will give you, a, there's a list of our candidates on there, where they stand. Our manifesto is also available on that site. We are also on Twitter. You'll find the details on the website uh, and various other uh, forms of social uh, media, Instagram, so forth. 
So the first port of call would be the website. And uh, if you leave us a message or get in touch through email, we'll, we'll, we'll be back in, in, in touch with you. And uh, how many candidates are you fielding? Have you got someone in every, uh, we, every, every region? We have at least uh, one in every region, but in most two uh, in every region. Uh, we also have nine constituency candidates, including Edinburgh West and Central. I'll be, I'll be standing in Edinburgh Central against Angus Robertson. Uh, we have a candidate, Alan Finlay, who's standing in Pollock against Hamza Yusuf. Um, he's not the only sort of uh, free speech candidate standing there, though. I think uh, Leo Kers, who's a dyed-in-the-wool unionist, he's, he's also standing uh, in that constituency. We have a candidate in Aberdeen That's South. Um, Sorry? That he's... Um... The comedian, yes, right, conservative comedian. Yeah, he's standing. For, I think it's reclaim. He's reclaim, with. that's it. It's not reform. It's reclaim. He, so he could be their only candidate in Scotland. I'm not sure. Yeah, certainly their only constituency candidate. Um, so we and we have one in Caithness, Sutherland, and Ross. Uh, that's a constituency candidate. Kilmarnock, and Kirkcaldy, and Dumbarton. So, but you can find that there's a full list of our candidates uh, on our website. So, yeah, you get for the first time. This, this is historical, actually, a historical event because this is the first time in history that people in Scotland are, wherever you are in Scotland, you'll be able to vote for a libertarian candidate. Well, that that's a milestone from where you started not that long ago. Um, so, congratulations on that, and I wish you well, all the thanks best. Thanks very much. Uh, and hopefully uh, we can we can talk about how it all went and what life was like on the hustings. If you're allowed to have hustings these days, um, and perhaps uh, are you speaking on uh, May the first in Edinburgh? I believe so. I've been invited, so that'll be a. That I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Matt, can I just also say as well that uh, I'm, I'm the, the the current salary for an MSP is sixty four k. I've pledged to take thirty of that and give the rest back into the community in some transparent way to charities, whatever. Our candidate in Pollock has pledged to give his entire salary as an MSP back into the community if indeed he does get elected. So that hopefully will go some way to, to put in paid to this idea that us libertarians are selfish and uh, are just interested in keeping all our money to ourselves. <laughs> Tom, thank you very much for that. It's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, I'll hope to see you on the 1st. I'm, I'm meant to be uh, down at uh, the Green outside Holyrood on, on May the 1st as well. And um, when you uh, next speak to your candidate in uh, Caithness and Sutherland, you might uh, direct them towards an article called Stephen Sutherland, The Unanswered Questions uh, on the UK column website that shows just the problem with the state-organised police force in Caithness and Sutherland and uh, how we cannot look to the state to protect us, uh, even in those minimal areas of the yeah. courts, the police, law and order and defence. Yeah. Um, they seem to fail also in those areas. So, Tam, thank you very much for your time tonight and uh, I'll see you soon. Pleasure. Thank you.